welcome to the Sales Prospector Show, supported by Lease, A, Sales Rep, ending 5,000 company, helping our clients grow sales by securing guaranteed appointments, qualified leads, and guaranteed contracts for their services and products across the U.S. I'm your host, Gil Pagan. You can find us on all social media channels and at leaseasalesrep.com. Thank you for listening in. It's going to be a great one today. Oh, it's going to be a great one today. Just like I said earlier, I want to have a, a great conversation here with Rich Prest, who is the uh, Senior Executive VP of Corporate Strategy. Man, that's a title and a mouthful there. Uh, the Assist RX, which is a, um, a really interesting company that has a, a great technology platform that somehow streamlines the process of medical providers, doctors, um, getting certain medications to uh, certain populations, vulnerable populations, uh, in a, I guess, a quicker type of way, and reimbursement and tracking it, and real exciting stuff. Uh, uh, hope I got a little bit there correct, uh, Rich. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Gil. Yeah, it's um, definitely a, an interesting space we're in. It's it's probably surprising to people that with all the advances in science that we see, these amazing biologic medicines that. The, the favorite piece of technology in the doctor's office is the fax machine. And the guys that founded that company, when they started this 10 years ago, they'd run specialty pharmacies and they were just frustrated with all of the paperwork that it took to get a patient. Uh, you know, the doctor's gone to all the trouble of working out what's the best med medicine for the patient. They've written the prescription. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got this last mile issue of how do you how do you actually get the patient started? And there's a whole heap of paperwork that has to be filled out. And they thought, well, surely we can move away from fax machines and paper and do this electronically. And that's that the the key part of our technology platform is really providing software to help the doctors uh, make that whole paper-based process electronic. Well, that yeah, that's great, and I can I can confirm this for our sales reps in the field when they go into doctors' offices across the country. They uh, still see fax machines, and it's still still done. It's still the way that many doctors still do business. The one in the private practice kind of settings, right? Um, and they move to EMRs and things like that, electronic scripting. But there's still a lot of paperwork stuff that still is done. Um, uh, the old way, if you will, and safe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's in a file, right? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And, and although most scripts have moved to electronic, if we look at volume, I think we're, you know, well north of 90%. Yeah. yeah. The whole paper, paper file. And, and yeah. so, you know, what's interesting is we've got a lot of medicines today. The bulk medicines are these low price generic medicines over 90% by volume is generic. It's it's low dollar cost. It's all electronic. It goes through to your Walgreens or CVS or your preferred pharmacy. Everything's electronic. But when you get into these uh, higher price specialty medicines, the oncology medicines, rheumatology, et cetera, uh, there we're talking these much more expensive medicines, you know, $1,500 a month, 6000 10000 15000 We've got medicines now that cost more than a million dollars a year. And because of that high cost, of course, the insurance companies want to make sure everybody's covered before they uh, start reimbursing. And also, if you're a, a provider, you don't want to, 
have a medicine uh, dispensed and and not know that you can get reimbursed for it. So so the crazy piece is there's all this science in these these uh, specialty medicines, but when it comes to the prescription process, only 15% of the prescriptions go electronically. Everything else is paper, and uh, that's because of all these prior authorization forms, the enrollment in the programs that manufacturers offer, uh, these patient services programs, et cetera. So there's there's a lot of paperwork that we have to get through, and that's why the prescriptions are, are for the vast majority still done um, by paper and not electronically. Yeah, uh, the, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. The, so the 90% of the medications that you and I would get when we go to a doctor's office, just for people who understand the, the, the way yeah. the healthcare industry works. I mean, you go to the doctor's office, you get a, you get an antibiotic, you get a cholesterol med, uh, mm-hmm. maybe even a diabetes med. Um, yep. They do that electronically. You walk into CVS, Walgreens, it's there for you. You pick it up 90% of the time. That's mm-hmm. the standard operating procedure, right? Yep. Or uh, are you and me, you know, we're healthy, thank God, and we go and get our med. Yes. Yeah, but, hey, hey. but if you got lupus or you got yep. multiple sclerosis or you have um, what is it the uh, some kind of uh, uh, cancer, pathology, yeah, right. You have that kind of you know disease uh, that the medic the process to get medication like that, meaning you said uh, some of them are you know thousand dollars a month, some of them could be a million dollars a year in, in treatment. That's a whole different process, um, mm-hmm. and specialty yep. pharmacies are involved in that process, right? It, so can you, take exactly. us, can you take us through? So the doctor yeah. um, is gonna um, uh, uh, write a script for rheumatoid arthritis, right? Right. Uh, and now he's gonna go, he or she, is gonna go through a process. And what mm-hmm. happens, you go to the doctor's office, you need that script. What happens yeah. from that place to the time the patient gets it and how you guys are yeah. in the middle of all of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's. It is surprising to people, right? Because they're thinking, okay, doctor's written the script and I'm just going to send them down to my local uh, CVS or Walgreens and, and it's all going to be easy. And then suddenly it's like, well, if CVS, for example, has a list of about 500 specialty medicines. And if, if a script ends up at a, a local retail CVS, they will in fact let you know, hey, this is actually on our list of specialty medicines and our central specialty pharmacy that serves the whole nation is going to call you, uh, go through all of the uh, checks and balances and make sure uh, everything's squared away and then they're going to ship it to you. Um, and so that's, that's from the patient's perspective, the first thing that they're going to see when they get on these specialty medicines is, uh, the doctor's office is ideally going to talk to them about the fact that this is a more complicated medicine. There is a different process um, that it's going to be filled by what's called a specialty pharmacy. That isn't a pharmacy you can walk into. It's a pharmacy that's essentially a mail order pharmacy um, that's going to call the patient. And that the because the medicine's quite expensive, that the manufacturer has a range of specialty special programs that uh, help with getting uh, access to the medicine. So uh, what they're going to do is they're going to, they have what's called often called a hub and that that hub is going to be available to connect the patient with any of the special access programs that are available. So if there's some delays in getting access to the insurance benefits so they can put them on some free drug, um, some starter drug to, uh, to get them going. Um, if they don't have any insurance, they may qualify for free drug. 
um, if there's uh, copay programs that the manufacturer offers. And for a lot of most of these expensive drugs, of course, manufacturer offers a copay program. So they'll explain that and make sure the patient's aware of it. Uh, and so it's essentially they're going they're going to uh, ask the patient to enroll um, in the programs that the manufacturer offers. And of course, you know, with uh, all of the uh, controls that we have over our healthcare information and making sure that's kept private, that for any of these groups to be involved, patients have to sign off and say, look, I, I understand I'm getting these services, that you're going to communicate with me and that you're going to exchange my healthcare information in order to provide me with these services. And so there's a lot of consent that needs to happen. Um, uh, Enrollment in these programs uh, we have to do benefits verification. We have to potentially do prior authorization if the insurer requires it uh, to make sure that they're actually um, gone through all the necessary steps and balances. So, um, and then connect them with the copay program. So, so essentially, the, <laughs> I mean, already I'm realizing this is a complicated explanation, and and we, you know, it's uh, so so you know, doctor's office ideally says, okay, here's the programs that are available. They fill out the forms and then um, it gets faxed to the specialty pharmacy. So that, that would be the way it would typically happen, right? And so it's all on paper and fax machines. Um, the process that we offer to the doctor's office is that instead of um, doing all that paperwork, what they would do is uh, pull the information from the EMR for the patient, um, uh, pre-fill these forms to the extent available, have the patient e-sign the form, um, and then they're going to press the submit button. It's going to get sent to the hub if necessary. Um, yeah, our hub, if we're running the hub for the program. Um, we're going to help the doctor's office if, um, if they want any help. Um, but, uh, you know, they'll need to initiate the prior authorization for the drug. Uh, but again, we have we have all of the technology so that rather than having to call the insurance office, they can actually do an electronic prior auth through our software. Um, they can do um, a real-time pharmacy benefit uh, check through our software to actually find out what the um, what's covered if it's a ben pharmacy benefit drug. Um, and then um, that set of documents can get sent to any. Uh, specialty pharmacy to to that uh, to fill that drug. So that can be the patient's choice or the provider's choice or the insurer's choice. Um, uh, but they can send it send it anywhere to um, to then get it actually uh, uh, dispensed. So so your so your your platform uh, um, I assist right. Mm. So your platform is a a benefit or a lack of a better word, correct me, my, my terminology here, is, is a protection uh, for the, the, the manufacturer of the drug or for the insurer of the, yeah. of, so, so the doctor writes the script yeah. for rheumatoid yeah. arthritis, uh, you know, for the medication, and mm. then they send it out, and yep. you're coming in to make sure that, that they can qualify or take care of the qualification for any subsidies or, you know, coupons yeah. or, you know, reduce rates. Uh, yeah. and, and so are you, are you basically protecting, forgive me for my, my, my terminology, are you protecting <laughs> the, the insurer yeah. from getting a, 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 a drug that they're not yeah. going to pay for? I mean, help me to understand, could you yeah. the doctor, what, the, the front yeah. end the doctor, but help me to yeah. understand that. Really what we're trying to help, we're trying to help the patient and, and the provider. 
the manufacturer is paying for the service because they they want to make sure that um, the patient get you know the appropriate patients get on drug and uh, so if the doctor's done all the trouble to select their drug, they'd love to see that patient end up on the drug. So we're sort of solving this last mile problem. And um, the, the way we're protecting the provider and the patient is that by checking with the insurance company to make sure that they've got benefits coverage and doing any of the prior authorization with our software, then they're able to go through all the necessary steps that the, the insurance company wants, the payer or the PBM wants done um, before we go to taking it to the pharmacy to actually get it dispensed. So um, ideally it goes to the pharmacy and at this point we know for sure that the patient has insurance coverage for this drug and that they've got the necessary authorization to have the drug be dispensed. So. Um, you know, that protects the, the patient in the sense that we make sure that they're getting, um, you know, they're only getting, they, they know what their out-of-pocket will be and they, we've, we've worked out um, whether they can handle that. Mm. Um, and it protects the provider's office as well because it makes sure that um, they don't have the sort of the hassle of sending a patient to a pharmacy and discovering that they can't get the drug because they're not covered or they can't handle the out-of-pocket. So that's really the the point of doing the, the benefits verification and the prior auth is to make sure that you've, you know, the patient understands the out-of-pocket, um, they can handle it, and uh, the, we've got the necessary insurance from the, uh, the payer the, or the PBM that they're, um, they're going to cover it. Right. So you're basically the front-end part of it, making sure that, obviously, um, they, the patient guess the benefits of all the programs that the manufacturer may have for this yep. very expensive drug, let's say yes. a million dollar a year drug. I like to know what that yeah. is, by the way. It's a million dollar a year drug, right? And then yeah. and then once that the insurance is going to pay half a million, just say as an example, of that 500000 is left. Yep. And then another yep. 100000 of, of uh, offer is going to come from the manufacturer. So now the patient's on the hook for four hundred mm. grand. Uh, yep. and, uh, and I don't know... They're on the hook for the four hundred grand with the insurance. Yeah, no, it's or with it, the manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. So, look, when I mean, there's certainly there are some very expensive drugs, and and hemophilia is an interesting one, right? Because depending on the particular patient, um, that is a case where you do have some hemophilia patients that run a million dollars a year. Some of the um, some of the newest uh, cell and gene therapies uh, can get very expensive. Um, some of these are actually cures for diseases. So uh, there was a, a gene therapy that came out recently for a particular rare uh, blindness disease. And I believe it was, um, I can't quite remember, but I think if you did both eyes, it was over a million dollars um, for uh, that. Now, I mean, that this is the, the challenge with these sticker prices is that um, Everyone sees those numbers and and is appalled by that. But I, I think I am. the question is what's what's the value of um, curing blindness um, over somebody's life? And you know, I think that the one that really spurred this all off was when Savaldi came on the market for Gilead to to cure um, hepatitis uh, C. Um, this was a drug that you know was priced at eighty four thousand dollars list, and it was a twelve week subscription. Uh, it caused all sorts of furor because there was so much volume. There's so many people in the country that 
uh, have hep C, um, the chance to cure all of these people and avoid um, liver transplants was seen. You know, the pricing was done very much on this idea, well, you know, the, the cost of managing these patients over their lifetime and if they have to do a liver transplant um, is well in excess of $84,000. So therefore, um, you know, this is a, a decent value exchange because we're curing them. Um, but everybody saw this price and was just like, oh, my God, how can you charge that much for a, for a tablet, right? So it's, um, you know, value and cost are, are things that always cause challenges in our society, I think. And uh, um, I think, yeah, drug prices are extremely complicated issue, um, as we know. And I think just recently we saw, uh, you know, Trump pushing ahead with uh, some you know, I hope to, to make some shift on, on drug pricing. And uh, it, it's tough because I think we we also see the value of innovation and that the U.S. in many ways shoulders the cost of innovation mm -hmm. uh, globally. Um, so it's, it's a very complicated issue. And uh, um, I think the other thing that people forget is that drug pricing um, is only 15% of the cost of healthcare in this country. Uh, if you really want to go after the... Uh, where all of the dollars are, look at look at health systems. You know, 60, 65% of the cost of healthcare is is tied up in health systems, and uh, you know, I think we should be we should be looking at those costs and not uh, just focusing on drug costs. Because taking one or two percent off the 15% isn't going to move the needle on the cost of our healthcare in our country. Whereas taking that same amount of percentage off the cost of the health systems would um, have a much more significant impact in terms of savings for us. Yeah, yeah, clearly the the cost of running the health system and the infrastructure uh, to run that, um, those huge buildings and staff and uh, and all mm. type of procedures. Um, and uh, it, it's clearly a monster, what I call the healthcare industrial complex. <laughs> um, which is uh, just like it, it, it perpetuates itself because it, it, it mm. employ you know millions of people across the country and mm. sometimes is the biggest employer in a small town that has mm -hmm. five thousand employees in the hospital you know mm -hmm. and they they they're the employer and um, and you see this cost structure how it was uh, attacked during COVID where the elective procedures were eliminated. Because mm -hmm. of COVID, and you realize that that all of their uh, most of their billing was elective procedures, not necessarily urgent care, uh, which yes. which is very interesting. That you would think that it should be more urgent care and not elective, but that's a whole psychological, societal kind of thing, you know, um, which I find yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, the whole healthcare system and how we make it more cost effective is, uh, you know, we could talk about for, for years. It's, uh, I, I think the, there's many, many causes for the high cost of healthcare, but I think we've certainly seen in COVID that uh, with the reduction in the amount of diagnostic tests that are done, plus Mm -hmm. uh, the reduction in elective procedures that uh, that has caused many of these health systems to um, go into the red and be extremely financially challenged. And uh, I think it's also made many of the doctors start to question as they've shifted to virtual care to start to say, well, how much of this stuff that I really need to do and what's really in the best interest of the patient and I think that's, you know, it's the big question everybody's got is how much of that's going to come back because um, 
for the doctors that really care about only doing what's in the best interest of the patient? Are they going to to cut back on some of these things going forward if they're not if they're not completely necessary? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, does the um, the platform itself mm. uh, I, I assist with, does it plug in um, as a um, as a bolt on as I call it uh, onto an EMR platform or do you yeah. have to you know log in? I know you, you said earlier. Pull data for the forms. Yeah. The MR. So yeah. Can you explain that a little bit. Yeah. So for sure. So it's it's free browser-based software for the doctor's office, um, because we're SureScript certified, and because you can actually write prescriptions on the software. We want to make sure that the people that are using it are actually valid, um, authorized prescribers that are, and have a valid MPI number. So we, uh, we do go to the process of uh, checking their identity and making sure that meets SureScript standards. And so there is an initial logon procedure. Uh, their authorized office staff are, are able to use this, the software on, on behalf of the, the doctor. So um, we also have a login procedure for, um, for the, those office staff members. Uh, with respect to the EMR, there's various ways for us to pull uh, data from EMR systems, and, and that's certainly, um, as you know, EMRs are a, a complex uh, area. It's um, the, the new interoperability rules are uh, certainly going to help a lot with making that data more readily available, because uh, in the past it's been a case of um, you, you don't just do an integration with Epic. In the past, you had to also do an once you went into epic you then had to go to each health system and say well what customizations have you done to epic and yeah. and then you know how would we pull that data so we i certainly wouldn't say we're at uh you know got a complete solution with respect to emr data but uh wherever we can we we want to pull that data and pre-fill the forms to make it easier for the prescriber's office uh, are you guys at all going to be affected by the uh the pricing and patient the pricing Patient Transparency Act that's going into effect next year and how uh, pricing needs to be, I guess, bundled in certain instances uh, at the hospital level. Um, and that's gonna include drugs and all this kind of stuff. You guys affected by that at all? Well, I would say it's, we would encourage more transparency in this area. And and as we, as we're doing with real-time pharmacy benefit, we're attempting to provide this pricing visibility mm. around what is the patient out of pocket uh, and for for the drug. Because I think that's the you know the, one of the other things that's very confusing for folks is that the list price has got nothing to do with the price that the patient ends up paying, mm. other than perhaps that their copay may be calculated off that list price, mm. uh, and so you know we're certainly keen to continue to to show. Um, as much visibility as possible. So the impact for us will be um, working along with that and making sure that we're uh, helping to show um, prices and, and, and provide transparency in this area. Yeah. And I guess, um, and just from a, your knowledge base, just personally, mm -hmm. and you know, what you know about this, I don't expect this to make any, um, uh, what's one, make any um, policy decisions here, but when you're dealing with these kind of drugs that are very expensive uh, and mm. the, the hemophilia and the Humira, I'm saying Humira, um, you know, some of the, you know, these, these diagnoses and the patient that is diagnosed with this either doesn't have insurance or mm -hmm. they are on Medicaid. 
right? Uh, Medicare tends to be better because everybody drives their cost mm. structure around Medicare, right? It's kind of like the mm -hmm. monster gorilla in the insurance market. But people don't realize that Medicare is like is the big gorilla, right? Uh, right. And then you got all the other insurance companies around that. But like, what happens in a situation like that when you know a patient is diagnosed with one of these really chronic illnesses and they don't have insurance and they have Medicare? Mm. Help me understand what how, how they go into your yeah. hub. Then yeah. What happens? Yeah. So they spend out with drug. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of the manufacturers have have quite generous uh, generous programs with respect to providing free drug. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you get to patients that um, are uninsured, uh, typically um, most of the manufacturers have some guidelines around the multiples of federal poverty. Um, limits that they uh, provide drug under. So it may be three, three, four or five times the federal poverty limit is the, the threshold that they set for an income test. And uh, so in the case of a patient that's uninsured, uh, they would look at the federal poverty level uh, and the income of the patient. And uh, if the patient qualified, then they would make available free drug. And we, for example, have a, a non-commercial pharmacy that provides uh, free drug uh, for several programs like that. And, uh, you know, that's a, uh, that's a really important part of, of helping patients out. And, you know, another area we do a lot of work is we do a lot of work with Gilead and, and actually now with uh, uh, the, the government in terms of providing, you know, Gilead's made a ton of drug available uh, for uh, Truvada and Descovy for, for PrEP, um, for HIV. And, uh, you know, a lot of the intention there is to help patients that, um, might be at risk uh, and to provide them with free drug. And, and so we run some programs to, to help in, in that area as well. Do these companies um, have like a, I don't know, again, no, no, no company in particular, but do, do these companies, pharma companies have like a limit on um, you know, uh, free drug they would give out uh, every year? And they may say, okay, we're gonna give 100, 100 patients Whatever they need for that drug, mm. you know, ten doses, the hundred, whatever, hundred patients. Yeah. Well, get that cap. You got to wait till twenty twenty one. I mean. Yeah. Is, yeah. Do, no. Do you know if they have that or not? I would think so. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen anything no. like a, a cap on that. I mean, I, I think that uh, the reality is that free drug is usually about five percent of volume, and. Um, uh, it's just one of the costs of doing business. So I think, you know, pharma, when they look at the list price, they understand that you've got drug that's going to go to 340B that's going to be discounted anywhere between, you know, starting at 23% down to, I think, Humira through 340B costs like a cent, right? And so, you know, the health systems are making thousands of dollars on uh, patients that are on Humira uh, through the 340B program, but the manufacturer is making close to zero uh, on that drug that goes through 340B. So um, I, it, it's, you know, again, it's this complicated, yeah, yeah. So um, very much the list price is not what's paid and uh, different, different uh, depending on the insurance coverage, it, it, it varies um, tremendously. I think the other one we didn't cover was the Medicaid patients often have, um, you know, Medicaid gets the best price and it's often a very, very low price. So the out-of-pocket for Medicaid patients is not typically a big issue. Um, the, actually, where the out-of-pocket for government patients is most challenging is with Medicare. Uh, because 
that's an area where the government had not allowed the, the pharma companies to offer copay programs or copay offset programs. And uh, for the uh, Part D drugs that are the pharmacy benefit drugs, uh, there's often a 20% um, out of pocket, which um, as we were talking about before, you know, you talked about some of these drugs, even a thousand dollar a month drug, that's $200 a month. That's substantial for, for many, many, many people. Um, and if you got to a $10,000 a month drug now, now we're talking about money that a lot of people just couldn't afford. So yeah. um, I think that's, that's one area where it's been, and I, I, I mean, it, you know, you, you put in place these incentives and it, it impacts behavior. There's, um, there's drugs that, uh, you know, these subcutaneous drugs that could be self-administered or administered by an HCP. Um, you know, a pharma company has to make a decision about whether they're going to run it through as self-administered or um, as HCP administered, because if it's administered by a doctor, it's going to be a medical benefit drug and therefore it'd be under part B as in boy, and therefore there'd be less out-of-pocket issues than if it was running through uh, Part D. So it's uh, it's just crazy complicated. And uh, I think um, yeah, we, we end up with, uh, you know, a lot of people out there suffering because they can't get access to the medications that might be best for them um, because of these many different um, pricing rules and, and how... Um, insurance coverage, et cetera, impacts what they're able to, to do. Uh, yeah, wow. Um, when you talk about timelines with your, with your platform, um, so mm. doctor di diagnoses a, a chronic illness and they write the script that has to go through a specialty pharmacy. And just for the audience perspective, a uh, specialty pharmacy could be located in any place, basically, mm -hmm. industrial area or business area. And you can't walk in, like you said earlier, uh, yeah. And it, it's, it could be in a warehouse and mm -hmm. we got pharmacist, licensed pharmacists working in those places. Exactly. Uh, and, but it's not a retail kind of place where you can buy Tylenol. Um, so you, they, it goes to this place uh, eventually once they get through you, I think. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, so how long does it take for a, uh, a doctor or the patient to actually get the med that yeah. they need from when they start with you? And yeah. then they get it to their doorstep. How long does that take? Yeah, and again, this is one of these ones where it, it varies, right? Um, we're, what we're trying to do is accelerate that process. So uh, that the metric that we call time to fill, we really want to, by doing electronic benefit verification, electronic prior auth, we want to cut that process down from, especially once you get into prior auth, and uh, it, it can take weeks. And so... If we can do that electronically, we can get an answer straight away. We can do benefits verification straight away. We want to be able to turn that script around and bring it down to a matter of days between the script being written and the patient getting the drug. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's the, the longest pole in the tent is usually this issue of uh, the, the, provi the, the, the insurance company and how long they take to approve the drug and you know if there's a denial and then you've got to go back and get more information and go back and appeal the denial then that that obviously adds time uh medical benefit drugs typically can't be done uh electronically that's that's one area where the industry's you know a lot of work being done right now to go from um phone and paper-based medical benefit uh 
prior auth to to electronic because there's uh, that's just taking too much time um, and checking checking the um, the benefits for for medical drug. Um, so so yeah, we really want to shorten that from weeks down to days um, because I think that's where uh, you know the quicker we can get patients started on therapy, the quicker they can start that process to getting better. And so uh, you know certainly something that we see as a huge benefit of moving to electronic process. Uh, the other one that's quite surprising is um, about 30% of the forms that come in by the fax machine, typically missing information. A lot of that missing information can be signatures. Uh, and then when you reach back to the provider's office to try to get that missing information, those signatures, often it can be quite a difficult process. And so it, it's surprising how many times the forms come in not complete and it's, uh, it's a difficult process to actually get uh, back in contact with the prescriber and the patient and, and get the necessary information so you can continue the process. So I'd say the other, the other big delay with paper is um, just can't reach the prescriber or the patient, which sounds crazy, right? They ask for it and now you can't reach them, but that is uh, another common cause of delays. Um, so again, a benefit of electronically submitting it is we can get it, we can check it straight away and uh, we can, and generally if it's submitted electronically, we can also make sure the fields are completed before it's submitted. Um, so just the same as if you're doing a checkout um, for something you're buying on Amazon, if there's anything missing, um, they'll, they'll make sure you fill those forms in before they um, take the order. Same sort of thing here. If we can get the forms electronically submitted, we can check they're complete before they, before they get sent. Yeah, not yet. Um, so your your model, your sales model, um, to get this platform, um, which is needed, obviously, to streamline this process of getting the meds to the patient as soon as possible, um, mm. and obviously, in taking care of all that insurance stuff and you know coupons and vouchers and programs. Um, so your sales model. So you you need to talk to. If, if, you, if the doctors are the ones that are using this on the front end, then you need to speak to, I guess, specialty uh, practices that are mm -hmm. ordering. So these, you know, these meds like oncologists, endocrinologists, mm -hmm. um, maybe even neurologists. I mean, the, all these kind of subspecialties to get mm -hmm. in front of them so that they can use iAssist for their patients. Is that accurate? You got it. So we have a team of folks that were in the field before uh, our COVID came along and, uh, yeah. and also some folks on the phone and, and they uh, yeah. are constantly in contact with providers' offices to try to uh, help them to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, get started with the software and then be able to take advantage of this electronic process as opposed to the, the paper-based process they use today. Yeah. You know what's interesting is that mm -hmm. a lot of practices are still using paper processes and the sales process, this is not mm -hmm. a sales pitch for you. The sales process is still the same. You got to mm -hmm. get out and get in front of a doctor, talk to a practice manager, yeah. a phone call. You still got to, that process is still the same, you know. Oh, although, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Although, it, it, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think I've watched a, a ton of, uh, you know, presentations, webinars on the shift to virtual detailing and, uh, I, I think you know that's going to work with some offices, but and it's clearly 
I mean, we, we've already seen with health systems that a lot of health systems don't let sales reps on uh, the territory and, and manufacturers have had to learn how to shift from, uh, you know, having a sales rep go in and try to talk to the doctors on site to more of an account-based sale with a health system. Um, but then, you know, the other challenge here is you, how do you, how do you actually get the contact? Where do you get the email from? Where do you get the phone number? How do you, you know, they're getting a million emails a day requesting this, that, and the other service that they have a look at. So how are you going to make sure they, they actually listen to you? And so I think that that transition uh, to virtual detailing is, is a tough one. And I think a lot of, uh, you know, there's a substantial number of providers that are going to continue to want to have a, an actual meeting with a sales rep because they would rather, um, rather than having to do the online research themselves, they prefer to, to spend a bit of time with uh, different sales reps from different manufacturers, hear the different perspectives on the therapies that are available, and then make a decision about what's uh, what's best for what patient. I agree. And uh, we've... we've uh... We figured out some strategies. I will not share them on this recording. Um, how to how to get in front of these some of these systems and get around some of these kind of barriers they 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 threw up. Um, yeah. We sell in the healthcare space, right? So we kind yeah, of I'm the sure. doctor's office yeah. is not that complicated. You can walk in uh, and set yeah. something up and phone calls and the but, mm. but the, system, the systems and the hospitals and some of those big decision makers they're mm. stopping you at the gate at times and and yeah. Uh, uh, they, they say no entry for you. Um, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> uh, big sign with the, the circle. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, No sales reps here. Uh, yeah. But uh, the uh, I agree, and uh, I think the pharmaceutical industry um, is the one that started the process of getting uh, reps in front of doctors and giving them free samples and and uh -huh. them a lunch and 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 this, you know get some pizza and, and then the rep can answer all the doctor's questions one two three four five doctor's got his information he gives it uh -huh. a shot then he moves forward with it i agree i think doctors um uh want that quick information give it to me give me a paper give me a link i'll read it two three pages uh -huh. about the the drug uh and then let's give it a shot and i'll monitor my patient um uh -huh. as long as it doesn't you know the adversely impact the patient's health and you know, uh, and give it a shot from there. But um, I agree. I agree with you. So uh, if you if you had to, to to summarize here as we wrap up, summarize um, mm -hmm. our conversation. Uh, I'm going to do my best here to do this. Uh, get what what we uh, <laughs> what we just talked about in in a, so complex. But yeah, that that, that we we covered today that I assist uh, helps. Uh, medical providers, particularly in specialty areas, um, treating uh, chronic illnesses with high ticket medications. They help those mm -hmm. providers uh, get, streamline the process of getting the drugs to their patients. And iAssist does that um, by an electronic uh, benefit verification. They do that by prior authorization, make sure that the patient uh, is covered. Uh, and then also, uh, throw any programs that the manufacturer may have on that high cost drug so that the patient knows his out of pocket or her out of pocket is going to be X and streamlines that process as fast as possible to get that medication to the patient. Oh, well done. That's nicely summarized. Yeah. <laughs> when, when do you want to start calling? When do you want to start calling on providers' offices for us? <laughs> well, well, thank you. I'm I'm humble. 
Um, you, you guys are, are doing some great stuff. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's a great, it's a great program. Uh, and thank you. I, I, I uh, enjoy uh, chatting with you and I want to ask you one, one lightning round question. Uh, I got sure. a whole bunch of go one. Uh, if you had one superpower, um, that you, you could have right now, what would that superpower be? Oh, wow. Uh, gosh, I, I think providing, uh, I, I, yeah, I think I think helping people to understand the, you know, if I if I could help people to understand the complexities of uh, drug pricing and and the, the journey, uh, somehow you know somehow make this complex process uh, comprehensible. That would be the superpower. <laughs> well, that's, that that be yeah, that'd be a superpower for sure. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I enjoyed you, gotcha. you on the show, and I and I enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure people will enjoy uh, what we discuss, given um, we shed some light on how this system works and mm. uh, and exactly what you guys do. Wish you the best in your rollout and your expansion. May the rest of this year be extremely successful for you, and going into 2021 as well. But you blow the doors off of the industry uh, and grow this company. Uh, thank you so much, Gil. I really appreciate it. Appreciate the time. The conversation was great. And hopefully this has been helpful to your uh, listeners. And hopefully we've, we've helped a little bit in terms of shedding a light on this uh, complexity. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks so much. You betcha. Cheers.